0: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the uh, ability to sing praise unto you, eternal God, unchanging, gloriously good, Abba Father, shepherding Savior, comforting Holy Spirit. Um, And now we ask you to take the word of God and make application to our lives. And to the glory of your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. been going through this uh, series on uh, revival revival by definition is a powerful work of God where he comes by the power of the spirit and he anoints us or empowers us afresh to be the people God has called us to be and he raises us to a new level and as he does that he energizes the church and advances the kingdom more in a series of months than previously had happened in decades. The church has lived for, historically you study, has lived for these outpourings of the Holy Spirit. These effulgent splendor of Christ that just comes upon us called revival. I mentioned that the old hymn says, round us the raindrops are falling but for the showers we plead. Showers of blessings. That's what we're talking about. Revival starts with us. I've said that revival is a sovereign work of God, a kingly work of God, that that generally speaking historically, almost without exception, comes to a prepared people, a people who are longing for God to do something in their midst, in their culture, in their nation that will be absolutely glorious. So the power of God among us. And then in the book of Hosea, Hosea is an Old Testament book written in the 8th century B.C., written to a group of people that had departed from the worship of God. God's called and set apart people, and they were involved in Baal worship, which they had imported from, we think, primarily Assyria. And Baal worship involved ritual sexual immorality as part of their worship, Baal worshipped involved, the sacrificing of children on an altar. It's a horrific thing. And even in the midst of that type of unbelievable uh, idolatry, the heart of Abba Father is, come, come to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Chapter 2 of Hosea, verse 14 says this, Therefore, I am now going to allure them. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Allure, bring back. Chapter 7, verse 13 says, I long to redeem my people. And then as Hosea closes this book in chapter 14, he says, my people need to understand their fruitfulness comes from me, their joy comes from me their hope their fruitfulness comes from me so even in the midst of this these horrendous things God says your your fruitfulness comes to me I long to redeem them that the problem we is in chapter 4 verse 6 where Hosea writes the Lord says my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge there's no real knowledge of the living God who is eternal, unchanging, who is gloriously good and for us. He says in, instead of that, and because of that, verse 1 of chapter 4, there's no faithfulness, there's no love, there's no acknowledgement of God in the land. And then last week we went to chapter 10 in Hosea, where the Lord says that, that Israel was a, a luxuriant vine, a spreading vine a fruitful vine, a blessed people, in other words. Israel was a luxuriant vine. He brought forth fruit only for himself. He didn't live for the one who called them and blessed them and redeemed them and brought them out of Egypt. They lived only for themselves. As his fruit increased, he built, built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Or he built pillars around the altars. And he said, I said, there's three manifestations in the next three verses Because they didn't seek the Lord, they had a divided heart, a divided heart. Secondly, they were arrogant people. They said, we have no king, and and what can the Lord teach us? And then the third thing in this passage is that the relationships were broken down. It says in verse 4, they make many promises, they take false oaths and make agreements, therefore lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. Here's, here's the Lord's response to all of that. Same chapter, verses 12 and 13. It's in your worship guide. Sow for yourselves righteousness. In this past right living, correct living under the hand of God. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up. The unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception. Because you depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. So God's response is this. Break up the unplowed ground. He says, understand this. Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up the unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you. So Here's my thesis. The breaking up and the seeking is based upon the tender reality of of Abba Father. The breaking up, the seeking is based upon the tender reality of Abba Father. See, in chapter 11, he goes into chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. This is what he says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me, they sacrificed to the bells. And they burned incense to images. It was I... Who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. It's just amazing You go through this text. The Lord says, I am the one who's loved him. I called my son. I taught Ephraim, or Israel, how to walk. By taking them by the arms, I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness. I lifted the yoke from their neck, the yoke of Pharaoh's slavery. I lifted from their neck, I delivered them. so, So you see, I've got to understand this before I break up unplowed ground. Before I really seek. I've got to see God is gloriously good and He is for me. And, and, and the glory of this passage church is, is that in the day of Hosea that th- they saw that, but we see that with radiant splendor, because Matthew, in writing his gospel account, says this about Joseph and Mary and Jesus, who were being hounded by Herod. This is what he says, Chapter two of Matthew says, "When, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. "Get up," he said. According to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. In other words, what Matthew is saying here is that the promise of Hosea 11 is fully fulfilled in Jesus. That the, the, the people of Israel that day saw Abba Father, but we see the glorious reality, the fulfillment of these promises in the reality of Christ, in the wonder of the cross. God says, you know, I love them. I called them. I healed them. I walked with him. I, I held up his arms. It's a picture of a. I asked the last crowd. i would forgotten how old children are when they said, when they walked and they said one. So it's, it's like, that, that is right. it's about one. Is that right? Okay. So it's, it's like a, 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 parent. You know how your, your child begins to walk and you're, you, you do this as he wobbles. And so he doesn't fall hit his head in the coffee table, falling in his nose or, or injure himself. So, you're, you're, so that's the picture. I taught them how to walk. I healed them. I fed them. See, I, I will never go hard for for the living God. I will never break up unplowed ground and seek the Lord until he rains righteousness on me. Until I understand and see the glory and the wonder and the greatness of, of, of the living God in the face of Jesus. This statement is, an, is echoed in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, come. To me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. It's the call to salvation. It's the call to discipleship. It's the call to walking with God. I've got to see the glory of Of the living God, the breaking and the seeking up, the the breaking up and the seeking will never come until I see that. So, so So to continually, listen, to continually experience the fullness of God, I must continually break up the unplowed ground. Break it up. Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. I want that. You've got to break up the unplowed ground. Now understand this. There's a difference between general repentance that is repentance that happens when you get caught. And you have to, oh, well, I've got to do this. You know, you do something wrong. The judge says you have 100 hours of community service. I've got to do this. And the repentance of the child of God, who sees the abelove love of the Father, the shepherding grace of Christ, and the comforting wonder of the Holy Spirit. There's a definition in the bulletin from a guy named Tim Keller, and he says that the first, uh, the, the 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 general because it got caught is bitter all the way to the bottom. There's no gladness. I got caught. But but the second is this: is you break up the unplowed ground and. Because you want to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. Blake, break up the unplowed ground. Because you, you want to repeatedly tap into the joy found in Christ and weaken anything that's contrary to to the Abba, Father's heart of love for us. we have got to understand that God is for me. He loved. He healed. He teaches to walk. He calls us by name, Isaiah says. In the, uh, here in this facility, we sang a hymn earlier. I love hymns. I, I love hymns. I grew up in a church... For I did not hear the gospel. Uh, But we sang hymns. And I I know a lot of hymns. And it is a joy to my heart. It is. So so this hymn says, Praise the Lord, the King of glory. Mighty, mighty is the King of glory. His great works the heavens proclaim. Full of majesty and holy. Lord of Sabaoth, his name. Countless tongues in joyful chorus sing his praise with sweetest chords. God himself is singing over us, King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm, I'm hanging in there to that last line. You go, God himself is singing over me? Yes. There's a verse in an Old Testament book called Zephaniah in the back of the Old Testament. Chapter 3, verse 17. Where the scripture says, the Lord says, I take great delight in you. I will quiet you in my love. I will rejoice over you with singing. Do you hear that? I rejoice over you with singing. God is for us. And we see that he is for us because we see the glory of Christ. For example, in Isaiah 63, Isaiah writes in, in verse 14 that... This is why the Lord says, this is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. God wants to make his name glorious among his called out people, his church. And how does he do that? In part, chapter we we see this. The next chapter, verse 4. Isaiah 64, verse 4. Since ancient times... No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. He's gloriously good. He acts on behalf of those who wait for Him, those who look to Him, those who break up the unplowed ground. The echo of that is heard in the New Testament book Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 6, I quote this frequently. God God's talking about the men and women of faith in the Old Testament. And he says, the writer says this. Without faith, which is a looking unto God. A trusting the promises of God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For everyone who draws near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. God is for us. Paul says in Romans 8, He did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you see the wonder and the glory and the majesty of Christ? See, when you see that God is for us, that so he is the Father, the shepherding Savior, the comforting Holy Spirit, Then, I think we break up unplowed ground, then we seek God. There's a man named Thomas Chalmers who wrote a wonderful 20-page document in the 1700s. And it's called, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I put part of the quote in the worship guide. But here, let me give you this. Through Christ Jesus, Chalmers says, the spirit of adoption is poured upon us it is then see, then that the heart brought under the mastery of one great and predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires it is then when you see the glory of the cross the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit is poured into your life the Spirit of God whereby we cry out Abba Father it is then that 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 the, the the former predominant affection is cast out. See, I, I, I break up the unplanned ground when I see the beauty of Jesus, when I see the, the, the glory of Christ, when I cry out, Abba, Father. This picture. Just pull it off. I know the story behind it. But let's say, let's just say, this is a burning building, I think, a child... Or a person jumping in the arms of a waiting fireman. But let's just say, for our illustrative principle, that that's a child and that's her daddy. And she's standing on the edge of a building, maybe two stories, maybe three stories up. And she's a, kind of afraid to jump. And you're, the, the daddy standing there and said, he said, Sweetheart, I have loved you since you were conceived. I have never done you wrong. I have always cared for you. Not perfectly, but you know that my heart is heart of love for you. Jump into my arms. And she jumps. I think that picture, I think of what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Now, I, I know a lot of daddies here, a lot of mamas here. And I know how they sacrifice for their children. And Jesus says this, if you then, though you are evil parents, think about that. If even though your evil parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give his Holy Spirit to those who cry out? Or give good good gifts? He says, the the love that you have for your child. Let me tell you, I love my kids. I love my kids. Jesus says the love you have for your child compared to the love of Abba Father looks like it's evil. Think about that. That's how much... Abba, Father, loves His people. Jump. Trust me. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek Me until I come and shower righteousness on you. Because if you don't, you have you will reap. Or you'll plant wickedness. You'll, you'll reap evil. You'll eat the fruit of deception because you depended on yourself and your idols and on your many warriors. Jump. Uh, uh, See, so repentance is based on the goodness of God, of the Father, the love of the Lord. Yes. Do, do you love, worship, adore, delight in Jesus? Not, not do you do the right thing. That's the fruit. See, that's why worship must always be central. What we do on the Lord's Day is very important. What we do in the morning, in our little morning watch, quiet time, incredibly important. I was thinking about this, and I picked up my main man yesterday, Charles Spurgeon. Died in 1892. Never can be disappointed when you read morning and evening. And so I'm thinking about this, and I'll read this. It's a statement based upon, I'll just read a small paragraph based upon Ephesians 4, 15. And all things grow up into Christ. And Spurgeon says, many Christians remain stunted and dwarfed in spiritual things. So as to present the same appearance year after year, there's no upspringing of advanced and refined feeling, Manifest in them. If we would ripen in grace, we must live near to Jesus. In his presence, ripened by the sunshine of his smiles, we must hold sweet communion with him. We must leave the distant view of his face and come near, as the Apostle John did, and pillow our head on his breast. Then we shall find ourselves advancing in holiness, advancing in love, in faith, and in hope. Yes, in every precious gift. I've got to live near Jesus. I've got to rejoice in his wonderful love. Calvin's Institutes, John Calvin, quoted two people more than any others. Augustine, who I'll quote later, And a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux who lived in the 12th century. And many of us know Bernard of Clairvaux because we have heard sung or sung a hymn called Jesus, the very thought of thee. It goes like this. Jesus, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills my my breast, but, but greater still thy face to see and in thy presence rest. That's it. And I, i've got to tell you that there have been times years ago when I would sing that that hymn, and I'd go ah, i don't know that's kind of flowery female language you know that's kind of her medi, not himity you know and uh and then I started reading Calvin, so Calvin quoted Bernard all the time, quoted statements like this, and I tell you the older I get, the more I see the central issue in my life is worship. Everything else flows from this type of spirit. Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast, but, but greater still thy face to see, and in thy presence rest. I want to see the face of Jesus. Because in the face of Jesus, I see the fullness of the love of the triune God for me. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, he elevates the great name of Jesus. Jesus. And so we break up unplowed ground because I want want all the the fullness that God wants to give. We we break it up. So for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. When I was uh, 13, 14, 12, we sang a little hymn at our youth gatherings. I'll trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And we really hit obey, 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 obey. We didn't really hit trust, which means looking to Jesus, glorying in the cross. See, it's, it's trust. Trust, 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 obey. Not trust, obey, 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 obey. You look to Christ. See, the, the, if we just had sung the hymn, Time after time, we'd have been much better off than trying to make application. Because one stanza says, "But, But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor He shows and the love He bestows are for them who will trust and obey. We never can prove, show forth, experience the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. Until we break up the unplowed ground. For the love He bestows... And the glory he shows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust, 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 and obey. Trust, trust, trust. Have you seen the beauty of Christ? Have you seen the one who says, I called you by name, I loved you, I healed you, I held your arms while you learned to walk. When you see that, break up on the ground. I mentioned a book last week by a guy who was involved in the biking industry professionally and found out, came out, and discovered that he had been doing blood doping and drugs for years. In fact, he won the gold medal in cycling. And he got to keep it because they lost the results of his urinalysis. <laughs> but he's written an incredible book. And he, he, he says this near the end of the book. He says, when he was exposed for being a cheat, he says, here's what I was learning. Secrets are poison. They suck the life out of you. They steal your ability to live in the present. They build walls between you and the people you love. True. I mean, Paul says in Galatians, "You reap what you sow." I've talked to many people. You got to go to prison, And, and when you are found out, there's a relief. I've talked to people involved in adultery. When they're found out, there's a relief. Finally, I don't have to hide and be clandestine. I can either repent or live openly in my sin. People that have cheated, there's there's a relief when you but see. Let me tell you, that is a true statement. But that is common grace repentance. That's common grace. That is not Christ-centered biblical repentance. Christ-centered biblical repentance says, "Because I have seen the glory of Christ and the wonder of Christ, I will break up the unplowed ground." And yes, secret sins are poison. Well, I agree with that. But primarily, I do what I do because I have seen the glory and the wonder of Christ. Our repentance is deeper. When we go back to Jeremiah, where Jeremiah says a, a horrible, despicable, unbelievable, unthinkable thing has happened among the people of God, says the Lord. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have dug trenches that hold maggot-infested rain residue. It's a horrible, despicable, unbelievable thing that's happened among my people. Augustine, whom I mentioned earlier, died in 430, came to faith in Christ at about the age of 33, 34. Augustine had a praying mama. He heard the gospel. His main issue was he didn't want to leave the flesh pots of adultery. In fact, in chapter 8 of a book called The Confessions, which deals with Augustine. From birth through age 37, 38. In chapter 8 of this book, he says, I said to the Lord, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Lord, make me pure, but not yet. And then later in chapter 8, he describes how in his misery, he came to faith in Christ. How God changed his heart. But then he writes, Book nine. this little page from book nine is so good, I keep it in my journal. And I pull it out. It is really good. Let me just read a little bit of it. It says, I came to the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. His name is Jesus, my helper and my redeemer. And what I feared to be parted from was now a joint, or excuse me, a joy to part with. For thou didst cast them from me, you who are the true and highest sweetness. You cast them forth, and from them you entreated me to see you sweeter than all pleasure, brighter than all light, higher than all honor. Wow. Lord, let let, let me see that. What I feared to be parted with was now a joy to part with. For you came in and you showed me that you're the highest and the true sweetness. Mm. Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast. I I, I tell you, um, break up the unplowed ground. Break it up. Next week, how to particularly do that. Talk about repentance. Now, it is is a burden to be a pastor because you're always dealing with sinners. Especially when you're by yourself. Hmm? I have a lot of unplowed ground I can break up all the time. To break it up as you see the beauty of Jesus, the glory of sins forgiven, the wonder of the cross. Um, I read a story recently that involved this creature. That's a roach. Um, we are very familiar with them here in the low country. In fact, we affectionately call them what? palmetto bugs. Isn't that a sweet name? I was somewhere that day, and a woman started saying, "Oh, there's a roach! There's a roach!" And I thought, "She's from Ohio. She's from Ohio." <laughs> from South Carolina, I go. There's a roach. Let's pray again. You know. I read the other day about it's a wild story, and I, I think since I think this, you know, anyway, there was a pet emporium somewhere, I've forgotten, and they had a contest. And whoever ate the most worms and roaches would receive as a gift a boa constrictor. Well, first of all, who, who wants a pet boa constrictor? Without? Well, that'll be another topic. So this guy goes in there and he eats over 31 roaches and countless worms. He collapses. He's rushed to the ER and he dies. And this pet emporium released this statement. We didn't know Phil in the blank, but I'm sure he was a great person. We will really miss him. I mean, how's that for a, an innate, an, anyway? But see, t- to me, uh, uh, Jeremiah says, They've forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and they've dug broken cisterns that can hold no water. When I'm not serious about sin and breaking up the unplowed ground and seeking the Lord, it's like I'm eating that instead of this a banquet table. A banquet table. God calls us to the banquet table through Christ. He calls us there. Some people are choosing to eat that instead of this. I pray God gives you spiritual eyes to see the beauty of Christ. Until you see that, then you don't get it. Do you love Christ? Do you delight in Him? Do you glory in the forgiveness of sins by the cross? Next week, more about breaking up unplowed ground and how to do that particularly. Let's pray. Thank you, Almighty God, that we have this wonderful book called Hosea, where in the midst of incredible declension spiritually, You look at your people and you cry out, I long to redeem you. You look at a bell-worshiping people, a child-sacrificing culture, an immoral culture, and you cry out, I am an evergreen tree. Your fruitfulness is found in me, or that, that astounds me. And then you say to these people, sow for yourselves righteousness And reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Lord, we don't want to plant wickedness and to reap evil and to eat the fruit of destruction. We want to know you. I pray you deal with us. I pray that we would all break up unplowed ground. Sins we have done that need to be addressed, or things that we have not done that we should be doing. And I just pray you'd work among us. Please do that. To the glory of your name. I-, I pray that you'd let us see, especially our young people who were raised in a Christian context, but you know, I pray they would see the beauty of Jesus, the glory of sins forgiven. I pray we'd be able to say with Augustine of old, as we broke up our unplowed ground, that what I feared to be parted with is now a joy to let go, because you, Lord Christ, the ultimate sweetness, the ultimate glory, have come in. So we thank you for that. So blessed be your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.